What's up, guys? This is PC, and this is your backstage pass to the Green Room Podcast Series. What's up, guys? Hey, this is PC. You're listening to the Green Room Podcast Series. Happy summer, my peeps. Hope everybody's getting some rest, some relaxation. You're recharging those batteries, getting ready for this upcoming school year. Today on the podcast, we've got Shamika Gerald. Shamika is the principal at Heritage High School in Newport News, Virginia. Hashtag 5800 family. Shamika, how you doing this morning? I'm doing fantastic. Shout out to the 5800 family this morning. It is summertime, but you know how it, how it goes. Our work is never done. So I'm happy to take the opportunity to talk to you today. Yeah, and I'm super excited for you to be on the show here today as well. I had the opportunity to visit your school, meet some of your staff members, meet some of your students. I've actually been there two times now and just walked away super, super impressed. So I'm, I'm very excited about the opportunity for you to share some of your ideas, some of your best practices here today on the show. And so let's talk about your history, your experience in education, and what led you to becoming the principal of Heritage High School. Well, um, I guess my history and experience in education is... I would not call it traditional. So when I was in high school, I did not do well in school in general academically. Um, and it really was from coming from a place where I, now I recognize I didn't have relationships with my teachers um, or I didn't feel connected to my school community, which is not an knock on my school. I think um, I, I don't want to date myself, but back in the day, that wasn't the um, push about developing relationships with students. So um, I struggled with math every year. I was in summer school every year for math, and I was like, school is not for me. I took some time off. I think the cool kids call it a gap year now um, after high school and went back to school at a local community college and started with math like O2, like the, re- the most remedial math that you can get. And it, I had a professor Mr. Kirby, um, who taught me Math 03, and he taught me processes that I needed to use in order to, like, attach the problems. I was like, well, how come nobody told me this when I was in high school? Because my life would have been a little bit easier. Um, So eventually I decided I was going to be a computer engineer, like my mother, and so I was taking calculus classes, and my professor was like, yo, like, you're really great at explaining mathematical complex, mathematical concepts to folks so that they understand it. And I was like, hmm, that sounds interesting. But I was still kind of on that path to get my degree. I'm in computer engineering. And just decided that I was going to get my degree in applied mathematics and teach kids because it took me so long to get the skills necessary to, to be very proficient in mathematics. I mean, I like, to go from a kid who did not pass one math class in high school straight up to a kid who, or a young adult or a college student who was getting a degree in applied mathematics um, and miss graduating with honors by 0.01 because I had strep. Um, we're going to let that live, though. I'm not going to harp on that because I'm still salty. <laughs> um, you know, going down that path, I was like, how many more kids don't have this access? because they don't have somebody who is willing to take the time and explain the processes to them in a way that makes sense for them. Um, So I started right and decided that I was going to teach math. Um, 
in high school because I think that was a pivotal point for me. I feel like if it would have changed at that point, maybe I would have um, been on a different path academically. But everything happens for a reason, and I have no regrets. I think that my high school experience got me here to to where I was in a place where I was working with high schools. I was recruited by Booker T. Washington High School in Norfolk, Booker T. Forever. Um, and the principal, Ms. Cynthia James Watson, is one of my mentors to this day, offered me a job. And I did all of my student teaching at Booker T. and knew that that was what I wanted to do. I wanted to be a teacher for the rest of my life. Um, so when I was presented with the opportunity to develop, to step into a leadership role, I taught Algebra One and AP Calculus. I taught all girls sections of Algebra Ones, all boys sections of Algebra Ones. I taught double block Algebra One. I taught collab and non-collab. And, and I just really loved instruction. I mean, Ms. Watson offered me the opportunity to be the freshman transition team lead. And I was like, nah, I'm good. I'm, I'm going to be, at that time, what I thought was a math curriculum supervisor. I love math. I love the processes. I really do think that this is what I want to do. And so I turned the opportunity down, and she introduced me to my executive director. She was like, hey, this is Sharika. She's our freshman transition team lead. And I was like, oh, okay, well, I guess that's what I'm doing now. So from that, I got my first taste of what school leadership could look like from working with the leadership team. And I think I had been teaching about three years at that point. And then I went um, to a middle school um, the division transferred me to a middle school in Norfolk, hadn't been accredited. I had some um, success at Booker T. So I worked at a middle school and decided, I think I had one teacher of the year some, at some point in there, and I decided I'm going to give school leadership a shot because I had watched what Ms. Watson did in transforming schools. Sure. And it's more than just math. It's like how do you develop processes systematically that serve all students? So my background is I went to a private school. I was a student of color in a private school, one of the very few students of color in a private school. And I felt now reflecting as if I was kind of dismissed as I wasn't smart enough. My school counselor told me I would never go to college, like that kind of stuff. Yep. Now I know what that is and what, what to name it, but I didn't know then. And even transitioning into school leadership, I knew I wanted to help kids who didn't have somebody fighting for them the way I felt like they should, like somebody who had the heart and was willing to stand up and say, oh, that's not, that's not right. No, 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 we're not going to do that. So I transitioned into leadership unexpectedly. So I never really thought that I would be a principal. And people who knew me when I was a teacher, that was one thing I said I would never do. It was like, I don't want to be a principal of a high school. It looks like a hard job, but it is absolutely the best job I've had in my entire life. I get to work with kids, teachers, adults, community partners every day and systematically work on things within my building to better serve students, all students, period. So, you know, that's kind of my journey to school leadership. And I've been in this position for, I'm going into year six, and really it has been a phenomenal experience. That's so cool. And yeah. Hopefully for my kids. I hope they like it. Well, I have no doubt, you know, just from seeing all the posts and from being there myself, like it doesn't take long when you walk into a school to get the vibe and the feeling of just what's going on there. And 
those kids and, and your staff members, they love you and everything that you do. And that's a testament to you and your leadership. I love so many of the things that you do, so many of the qualities that you have. And one of the things that I just absolutely love is your positivity and your positive energy because you bring it every single day. And just being totally honest, that's not always easy to do, right? Because we all have those bad days and life happens. How do you, I call it flipping the switch because you got to turn it on, you got to bring it because your kids deserve that, your teachers deserve that. How do you flip the switch to bring that high level positive energy day in and day out? Um, it starts with coffee. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, I, um, I, I drink coffee in the morning and I, I'm not going to say coffee is my only thing, but really what it comes down to is I don't live far from the school, but on my drive to work, like I don't have music on in my car generally because I'm just trying to get myself together to kind of get the day started. I, I recognize that when I walk into a building, into my building, what a, what a bad day for me might be. Yep. Pales in comparison to some of the challenges that our school and community faces. Yes. So I can't afford to come in bringing my baggage into the building and saying, I'm having a bad day, leave, leave me alone. Now, what I will say is I haven't had any coffee yet. Just give me a second. Can I have one sip? <laughs> before we start talking about this. But um, I can't afford that because when my kids get off the bus in the morning and when the teachers walk in the door, my mood, my face, my attitude sets the tone for the day. So if I come in in a funky mood, a funky attitude, then the day is driven by what they see in my leadership. So I come in immediately um, and on my worst days, when I'm the most tired, if I'm sick, if I don't, you know, if I'm just not, you know, you have those days you're kind of off, like my lead security officer will start singing in the hallways. And so she and I will have a singing battle yeah. or kids will come in and I will recognize like something is like just a miss, like, you know, you can get that feeling. Yep. And so I'll just do something crazy in the hallway or I'll like ask them a crazy question or just anything to engage them. So sometimes I will use their energy. They're coming in hype. I, I, I siphon that off of them and I hype myself up. But they come to us with all of the things that they carry with them. And sometimes the hug that they get in the morning, the smile that we greet them with, the song, the, um, one of our new, uh, new APs, Terry Finner, he's got Finner's Funky Fresh Fridays. He has the music out on Friday mornings. And yeah. We dance in the morning. So like, we have to make this a safe, inviting, warm place for our children. And it starts with me when I walk in the building. If I'm grumpy, folks will be grumpy. If I'm hyped and turned all the way up in the morning, everybody might not be on that level with me, but it's going to be a different vibe for the day. 100%. That is so true. And I, and I love the dance party that you're talking about. And I've actually seen some of that on social media. And so that ties yeah. into what I want to talk about next. You just crush it on social media in terms of telling your school story and you're shining the spotlight on all the amazing things that are taking place on campus. Talk about why that's important to you to, to showcase those things on social media. Um, well, if I don't tell my story or we don't tell our story, somebody else will tell it for us. And we live in a time where social media tends to be people's reality, whether it's true or not. And so quickly things are spread about schools, about events in the community. Like we have to take control of the narrative before they do. And DJ Khaled says, stay away from they. And they are all the haters in the world and people who don't want to see you successful. So I use that as like, if, if they're going to tell my story, 
I'm going to tell the story first before they get a chance to do it. So we work really hard to highlight the things that are going well in our building because that is, one, some of the main means that people find out about the school. You can Google Heritage High School. You find the school's website. You can read all the news articles. You can read the Newport News blog posts or whatever. But we have our social media connected to it. And you can see on social media, like, these are live action things that are happening in our school. You can't make this stuff up. You can't stage it. So this is actually who we are. This is our brand. We are the 5800 family. And we like to showcase all the things that our students and teachers are doing in this building because you don't get to see that. How often do you get to just walk through the hallways of a school on a Friday morning and see that, everybody's downstairs dancing or that they're doing a cool science lab in a science class or that they actually got me to touch a bearded dragon. Like I'm, I'm the worst with animals and creatures and that kind of stuff. Right. But being able to share those stories about the cool things that we do with our kids here is, and I need people to see what strong student leaders we have. So that's why we share our story because if we don't tell it, somebody else will tell it and it will be a completely different narrative. 100%. 100%. 100% agree with everything you just said right there. One of the things from an administrator's perspective, I think sometimes teachers struggle with social media, specifically with Twitter and even Instagram, that, you know, they're wanting to maybe protect their privacy. They don't really understand how it works exactly and all that good stuff. How do you encourage your educators to be active on social media with regards to sharing the story of the 5800 family? Well, I I do have personal social media accounts as well. Sure. So my personal social media is definitely separate. And I'm not, contrary to popular belief, I'm not big on social media outside of school because I'm into my school social media so much. Right. So, and, and social media for me and what I encourage my teachers to do is use it for my professional learning network as well. So it's not just telling the story, but how are you engaging with other educators and people who inspire you to be better or learn more through the use of social media. So yes, share the story of Heritage High School, but when you start getting those likes and those retweets, who's liking and who's retweeting? Building your professional learning community online because, I mean, I followed you on social media before you even came here, before I even got the opportunity to meet you when Jocelyn's Renaissance came. Sure. And being able to continue continue to connect with you on social media and watch the things that um, you're doing, that Jocelyn's Renaissance, like I have a whole list of, list of people that I follow that inspire me. Um, Ryan Jackson, Phil Campbell, like um, like my, my Twitter PLN is my inspiration when I start um, looking at stuff, the videos that I was making, I, I wouldn't have known how to make a video with this, with the captions at the bottom, bottom, but Phil Eccles told me to use clips. Like I just hit him up on Twitter. Hey, what's that video thing that you're using? It's clips. Yeah. Now I'm using it and I've shared that with other people. Um, so just developing that network, share the story, but social media is so much more powerful than just telling our story. Like, yes, that's important. My heritage high school page for the school is more about what the kids are doing. My social media is what I'm doing as a school leader. I'm celebrating kids individually, yes, but how am I developing my leadership as a educator through connecting with people from across the world? And that's what social media has allowed me to do. And I wouldn't be doing some of the things that I'm doing now if I hadn't like seen it on social media. 
isn't that crazy just to think about, you know, because a lot of these things didn't even exist. I, well, they didn't exist when we were in school and even probably 10, yeah. 15 years ago, they weren't there. And now you've got, mm -hmm. you can reach educators, like you said, from all around the world, just right there in the palm of your hand. Such a powerful, powerful resource. Uh, one of the things that I'm a huge advocate for is breaking down stereotypes and getting people to really think about why they believe things. Every day when I'm working with young people and with educators, I always ask them, you know, what's your why? And then we go through some different stereotype scenarios. And one of the stereotypes that exists in our country is that a school that's made up of a majority of minority students can rarely be successful. But you are absolutely blowing that stereotype out of the water. And I just love watching it every single day. What have been the keys to your success? Um, believing in the kids and telling them that I believe in them and that as a school, we believe in you and that our expectation is of excellence and that you can do it because we will help you get there. The expectation is there. And the, um, what, what I think sometimes we fail to recognize is that like, kids want to do really great things. They want to be phenomenal. They want to be amazing. They just might not know how. Yep. So if you identify, hey, here's the goal. And one of the, it's a very, uh, comparatively, it's a very trivial thing in my mind, but I, I use it as an example of how we move things forward. So when I first started here, scholarship totals were at $5 million. Um, and so what I said every year is I set the senior class a challenge. You know, you're going to get this many millions in scholarships this year, this many in scholarships this year. In five years, we've tripled scholarship totals in just five years. Yeah. So we were at 15 point. $2 million this year, the highest in our school division with the smallest graduating senior class, 15.2 million. My goal for the senior class this year was 13 million. They looked at me in the, uh, the assembly and was like, we're going to get 15 this year. And I was like, all right, y'all got it. <laughs> but it's really about instilling that early and saying, you can do it. Nobody can tell you that you can't. And we, as your school, are going to help you get there and then or organizing the truth. Okay, so this is our vision. We are a school of excellence. What does that look like? Yep. What does that look like for teacher behaviors, leader behaviors, student behaviors, and not behaviors like, so, like, but like indicators, like what do we do every day very intentionally to demonstrate excellence in everything that we do? And things follow. We don't focus on tests like you have to get this many kids to pass the test or our, our meetings are not browbeating people about accreditation. Sure. It's about a standard of excellence because if you have a standard of excellence and hold yourself to a standard, those benchmarks come. They just come naturally. So it's about holding a standard of excellence and really identifying in children who don't think they, they can. Now, baby, you can do this because the class that came before you did this and this kid did this. And if you, so tell me why you think you can't do this. Let me break these barriers down for you. What support do you need? So it's about being very intentional about having conversations. And it's not just me. It's the entire school, every teacher, every staff member from the custodians all the way up through anybody who comes and touch bases with our kids. Everybody is about excellence and we're going to make sure that we help you get there. Absolutely love that. And so, so true. Talk about for a second, people always ask, like, how long does this process take? You know, because you're talking about changing the culture of what you guys do yeah. there. How, how long did it take for this to really take root and to really sink in with everybody on your campus? Um, huh, that's a good question. 
I think year if you can't you, it changes year one and I, I don't know how other schools go about doing this or how yep. other leaders year one I came in and I talked to the kids yep. because I can work on changing teacher mindset but if I can get the kids to be a part of this culture shift and for them to demonstrate expectations of excellence from everyone around them, yep. it makes it easier to change teacher mindset because sometimes it can be seen the educators are like, well, we're going to try this, but if the kids don't buy in. So I, I just kind of, when we came in, I was like, I'm, I'm going to hook the kids first. Yep. And so once I hooked the kids, we saw tremendous growth the first year. And then the second year we saw more growth. I think to, to really change a school culture, I think it's a, it, it, there isn't a set point. It's going into year six and we're still working on culture because depending upon what teachers in the building, what kids are in the building, um, what's happened outside of school, all of those things influence your culture. Yep. So you have to reassess and reevaluate every year because you can't keep doing the same thing. So I can't say that there's like how long it took to change it because we're still changing our school culture to make sure that we're meeting the needs of our kids, our teachers, and our community. So I don't, I mean, I've, I've noticed a change going into year six, but I know that it going into year seven, there'll be more change. In year eight, it'll be more change. Sure. Um, I came in, I came in year one and like we didn't get accredited the first year. Yeah. We didn't get accredited the second year. So it's it's a process. It's not instantaneous. Yep. And it's not a three-year, six-year, ten-year process. Once you start making those changes, it evolves every single year. Yeah. No, you're exactly right. And I love you said it perfect. It's a process. And I think that ties back into that energy question that we talked about earlier. Because if you truly want to be great, you have to bring it every single day. Mm -hmm. Because it's never I made it. It's always what's next, right? Um, yeah, absolutely. There, there's always another challenge that's coming down the road. This next school year is going to be another challenge for you and for your staff. And you've got to bring it the best that you can to continually evolve and get your students and to get your educators where you want them to be. I, I think you're spot on with that. Let's talk yeah. for a minute here about racism, um, because it, okay. it is it has been obviously a huge issue in our country. And I think that there are, there are a lot of people out there that want to help, but maybe don't know, you know exactly know how do you help. And so mm -hmm. as a white male, there are things that I don't understand and that I don't know. Mm -hmm. And so what can mm -hmm. I do to help as a white man? Well, I think the first thing is being um, comfortable enough to ask the question. Sure. Like it's an uncomfortable conversation sometimes because in, you don't know what reaction you're going to get. And I met with a teacher yesterday. He's applying for his first administrative position. And we talked about, you know, going into the interview. And I was like, you do understand you're a white man, right? And he was like, looked at me crazy. And I was like, <laughs> just, just, go, just, just go with me for a second. You have to acknowledge that as a white male, you, you didn't get a choice in like birth and who your parents are. Like you don't get to pick it, but this, it, it comes with a certain amount of privilege and you have to recognize that privilege and recognizing that you have to be very intentional about asking the questions and developing the relationship, mm -hmm. intentionally developing the relationships that demonstrate you have a desire to understand the experiences that, young people or your colleagues are having so first asking that question but then using the your privilege to be an ally so to break down the barriers 
and to advocate for um, the equal opportunities, but not be offended when somebody gets the opportunity that you advocated for. Because it's easy to advocate for equal opportunities until we're up for the same job and yep. I get it and you don't. Yep. And then it's like, oh, well, it must have been because she was black yep. or she was a female or she was this or he was that. Like being genuinely in in the work to ensure that all means all. You're advocating for everyone and that the equal opportunities are provided for everyone. So I think asking the question and being willing to develop intentional relationships and knowing that in your white privilege, you have to work hard to develop the relationship yep. and to understand. Then using your privilege as a way to break down the barriers for those around you that you're working for. Got it. That makes that makes perfect sense. And so the next part of that question I wanted to talk about is I know that I've said things, I know people in the public have said things that have been offensive, that have been said completely out of total innocence just because, you know, I didn't know any better at the time. And I was thinking about just yesterday, we were working on a script. It's an old Western style script. And we were talking about calling the group of people that are going to be the posse. But then I remembered that just a few years back, there was a reference to LeBron James and the posse. And then it turned into this whole racial thing. What can I do to better know and understand like what I can say, what I can't say, and how I can be that advocate for all? Um, well, I think just in general, we, we have to be mindful in conversations that we're having or things that we're developing on the impact that it has on others. Um, I was not at ISTE this year, um, but I know that at ISTE there was a panel and some conversations started circulating on social media yeah. about no diversity on the panel. And as a an educator who is out here presenting and providing information, you have to have a critical lens on everything that you do. Yes. You have to be very, and that's what, that's what I was talking about previously, is like identifying the privilege, looking through the lens and saying, okay, I, I'm, I, this is my experience. I'm going to put together this, this program, whatever. How am I being very intentional about being inclusive with the conversation? Yep. How am I making sure that, the, that equal voices are heard and that we're being respectful? I'm not going to say people are going to ever be perfect because that's not the business. We're not in the business of perfection. But when you're going to put something together, some um, you're talking about the, a presentation, or you have to understand and take a step back and look at the privilege that you stand in. Yep. And is that being reflected in the work that I'm presenting? Because if it is, you need to take a step back and reevaluate. And, and so you were saying like the the posse comment and how it became a racially charged thing. Right. So understanding that as you walk into this and you, if you, you say that or you, you package it in that way and there is this backlash that comes with it, in that moment you stood and, and you didn't look through the lens that you needed to, the equity lens, and you made a choice. 
whether it was intentional or, or unintentional, but you made a choice at that point, and now what's going to happen as a result of that choice? Right. So I, I think when we when we go through this, I mean, I even am very self-reflective before I do presentations, and I, you know, I choose my words wisely, and in, you know, culturally, I, I have to make sure that I'm very inclusive. I do serve a school that has a high um, population of African-American students, but I also have students that um, are white, Asian, Hispanic. Like I have a, a, sure. a whole group of kids that I serve. And so making sure that we're respectful of everyone's culture, but I stand in a place where I look through the lens of, you know, what privilege do I stand in as an African-American female? And what what lens do I need to look through to make sure every, everyone feels like they're a part of this conversation and that they matter? Because seeing them and respecting them and having them understand that their story matters, their culture matters by not offending. So true. So true. And I love that. And thank you so much for talking about that. Because like mm-hmm. you said, I know that's mm-hmm. a, you know, it, it's a hard thing to talk about. It's an awkward question to ask. I'm sure it's an awkward question to answer. And so I sure do appreciate your sincerity with being willing to talk about that here. Let's shift to the family-like atmosphere that exists on your campus. Because like I said, when you walk Mm -hmm. into a school, and I'm in schools almost every single day, it takes me about two minutes to figure out the vibe and what's going on there. And I walk onto yours and it is literally like a family. How did you create that? And how do you continue to to cultivate that moving forward? Um, I think we, as a family, created that just through intentionality. I love on purpose. So I, I tell my kids, and we are a school that loves children. We love our children. We don't necessarily like the behavior they demonstrate or the choices that they make all the time, but underlying un- unconditional love, there's not, uh, there's not one thing that a kid could do here in this building that could make me stop loving them. So they know that, and that's the environment that we've created. So it is family, and, I, and we repeat that daily. Like, we are family, family over everything. It's, and we have created an atmosphere that it's heritage versus everybody. Well, not really everybody, but heritage versus everybody because sure. we are our own best friend. Yep. So it's, it's, I tell the kids like this. <laughs> it's like, you know, in your family – you can talk about your brother, but nobody else ever talk about your brother. Right. Or you can talk about like what's going on in your house, but nobody else better say anything about what's going on in your house. And when you leave this house, you represent this house well. So when you act up in the community, it is a direct reflection on us as a school and what we're doing and your family, out your, your biological family. So when, when we see kids in the community, we talk to them, we tell them we're proud of them for things outside of school because that's what families do. Yes. We show up at their events outside of school and it's something, we found out something that was not so good. I addressed that too. I'm like, look, I, and they're like, you know, yes. And I said, you are representing me. You're putting my name on that. Yep. Our teachers, when we go out, we are a family. We represent, we tell our story um, and, and we, we have been charged by the community, not by me, by changing the narrative through the conversations we have with the people that we interact with. So we come in and we say, we're from Heritage High School. Oh, isn't that? No, let me tell you about Heritage. And we have like the elevator pitch. Everybody has their own elevator pitch, but it's like, hey, this is what our school does. Did you know this? Did you know this? Are you following us on Twitter? Are you with us on Instagram? Have you seen our Facebook page? So I think that family 
connection for us was developed through just really hunkering down as a school and saying, we're not going to let outside influences taint us anymore. And not taint us, I don't know if that was the best word, but outside influences drive our work. Yeah. We drive our work. And so that changed. And then 5800 Family actually came from our football coach, George Massenberg. Um, he, he uses that term all the time. And I just told him, I said, look, we bought to be the 5800 because it was like Cane Pride. And we had some other hashtags that just kind of weren't sitting with my spirit. Yep. And the 5800 Family one, um, I put it on there and it kind of took hold for me. And it really took hold for the kids and for our school community. And, you know, it it really has been the driving factor, that family environment. So when stuff happens, we handle it as a family. And like a proud mama, sometimes we have challenging conversations and sometimes I'm hugging. Like it's it's a give and take. I can have a challenging conversation with a kid and they can be in my office and be very frustrated, very upset. But we're hugging and I'm telling them I love them before they leave. And they might not want to say it. But, like, I'll be hollering, but I love you, though, and I love you, too. Like, that kind of stuff. Like, it's just non-negotiable. Yeah. I love you. <laughs> and you won't love me, whether you want to or not. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah, I'm just sitting here just nodding my head the entire – I've actually got tears in my eyes listening to you talk because, like, that's what it's all about, right? And if, mm-hmm. if people could just get that and understand that love aspect and that relationship aspect that you keep talking about. And I've still got my, you guys give me a 5,800 family, the little pin, the lapel. And I've still got that. Mm-hmm. It sits on my desk every single day. And I look at that thing and I just love it. I, like it, that's your brand and that's how you brand your yeah. school. And just so, so cool. One of the key areas that you guys attacked last year was attendance. And so for an mm-hmm. administrator out there that's listening, that's struggling with attendance and this is all over the country. People are struggling with attendance issues. What kind of things did you guys do? You know, what kind of ideas would you share with them to help make improvements in that area? I would say the first thing I would say is like get the kids involved. We really did some work around attendance, um, not in 18, 19, but 17, 18, where adults were kind of taking the wheel. I think what really took hold for us in 18, 19 was that we had students involved in that conversation. So um, having a focus group about attendance and including kids on the attendance focus group that don't come to school. Yeah. Like putting them and inviting them and making it a big deal and, you know, had Chick-fil-A for breakfast. So that gets them to school. <laughs> yes, but talk exactly. about why you're not coming. Tell me why you don't come. And then having the kids who come every day to say why they do come. And, and really, the interesting thing for me is some kids come out of compliance. Like those kids that come every day is not because they love school so much and they're just happy to be here. It's out of compliance because my mama makes me come to school. So I, we started attacking if you had a choice to come to school, what would make you choose to come to school? And that's where the kid feedback came in. So what are some of the barriers for kids um, coming to school? Well, you know, I was out sick for a couple of days. I missed some work, but when, my, when I came back, my teacher had a smart comment, mm-hmm. and it made me disengaged. Okay, well, we can address that. That's not a big deal. So we started talking, not to specific teachers, but whole group faculty and kids um, about how kids feel when we make a flippant comment with which they think is funny. Oh, so you decided to come to school today? Yep. Or you knew you had my test. How dare you have the flu? 
But for a kid, that's like, dang, well, I'm here. Like, can I just get my assignment? So we started attacking some of that, like, just in general. We did a lot of work with um, equity work. Our students led some um, implicit bias training for our staff. So I think that helped turn some stuff around. We focused on our community partners, and um, we have a community partner, Joe Baker. He is a full-time volunteer in our building, and he started, like, an attendance program, and he's in our community. So getting him to help us get through, literally get through some of the doors that we were unable. We do home visits. Sometimes parents wouldn't open the door. Pastor Baker comes, knocks on the door. Mama opens the door. (laughs) We've been knocking on the door for two weeks. Yeah. Pastor Baker comes, Mama opens the door. And so we were able to go in in a non-threatening way because we're still seen as the school. Right. But when you're really just coming to have a conversation about what supports these families. Yep. Just getting in the door, I think parents understand that it's not we're going to try to drag you to court. No, really, what do you need? Yeah. So we started attacking why kids choose. Like, if you had a choice, we want just a place that you would choose to be versus you have to be. And so that's kind of where we started. And, you know, celebrating. We had ice cream parties. Um, most improved attendance kids got popsicles because their attendance popped up. Over the nine weeks, so they got special popsicles with wristbands. And at the end of the year, any kid who had perfect attendance for fourth marking period the whole school year um, or significant improvement in attendance got a party, like we threw in a, uh, an attendance party at the end of the year. So we're, atta- we're doing some incentivization, but we're also doing some of the deeper work that takes long term yep. to how do you change a school culture so it's a place that kids want to be that their experience is that that they want to be here i love that and the ownership piece right like you're giving yes. those kids a voice you're giving them the opportunity to have ownership mm-hmm. in their education and they get a seat at the table and I, like that's yes. as big as it gets right there you know um one of the mm-hmm. other super cool things that you guys did here just recently you had staff members, and I, I don't know if they were all from your school, if you had some from central office, but they shadowed your students around your school for the day. And it might have even been a couple of days. I'm not sure. Talk about that activity. I thought it was super, super cool and how it went. Well, that was our um, shadow. Uh, the, they called it the turnover experience. So we had teachers all together with 36, I think, 18 teachers and 18 students. Um, and it did involve our chief academic officer, our executive director of curriculum instruction, second executive director of secondary school leadership, and some of the instructional supervisors. That actually came out of a conversation about attendance. Because what would make you want to come to school? And the kids were listing off some things. Yeah. And so my principal's advisory group on education, um, and some of those kids you got to meet while you were here, they decided they wanted like a shadowing day. So I took it a step further. I was like, well, if we're, if teachers are going to shadow you, how about you shadow the teachers to see what teachers deal with so that we can have a real conversation about what a, what a teacher experience and what a student experience is in our building. Yeah. And so they did it over three days because I couldn't put 18 teachers out at once. I was, I don't know how school would run with 18 teachers out at one time. <laughs> um, so we did it over the course of three days. And then on the, that Friday, we had a debrief um, with all of the members. So all the kids and all the teachers came together and the people from central administration came as well. And we debriefed on what we experienced and some of the next steps that we needed to take in order to create 
of school culture that really valued the experience of students and teachers and staff members. We had security was shadow. We like everybody yeah. wanted to participate. So we had um, that, and there were some some strong points that came out of that where kids really want to get to know their teachers, um, and we were supposed to do. Um, lunch with the teachers and we had games and stuff planned. You know how the end of the year goes. So sure. like it, the end of the year was really hectic, so we didn't get it. So we have planned it for the beginning of next school year where they're going to have um, principal advisory group is going to pull games like Jenga, checkers, um, spoons is a big game, Uno. And we're going to go in the cafeteria and the teachers are going to come down during lunch and they're going to play games with the kids. And the kids are going to get to know them because one of the more powerful things for our students was to see our teachers as real people. Yes. And to see that, wait, you have to teach. If you teach all world geo, you teach the same lesson back to back yep. for two days. <laughs> and they were like, what? And so opening the kids' eyes up to the teacher's experience created empathy for teachers. But then the teachers were like, wait a second. I had to sit in class this whole time. Yep. I couldn't use my phone. I couldn't go to the bathroom when I wanted. I couldn't eat a snack when I wanted. Like, wait, I have to sit. And then I went to my next class and did the same thing. Yeah. And so I think it really did open up everybody's eyes. And that came from how do we make this a place where kids choose to come to school? Not because you have to come. I want you to come because you want to be here because we've got something to offer. Yeah. That is so cool. Do you so, see that as something that's like, will you do that every year now? Or what do you think about that? Yeah. Well, the principal's advisory group, again, student leadership and student um, advocacy, I let them run with it. So principal's advisory group has already come up with their plan okay. for next year. We have some things that we're going to line up for first semester, but we're going to replicate it. Um, of course, some of the kids were seniors, so they won't be here, but we're going to sure. replicate to see if we see a change in practice during first semester and then we'll do it again during second semester and we've even talked to another school in our division actually my husband's school they have a new principal there um i think you met dr mason yeah she and i are considering partnering with our principal's advisory group and doing some school swaps i love it very cool yeah dr mason i was super impressed with her too that was that was very cool to get to meet her Talk about your principal advisory group really quick. How do those kids get onto that committee? Well, you know, that's like a big controversy now here at the high school. I didn't realize it, but okay. folks are mad that they don't get selected. <laughs> um, so principal's advisory group for me, when I came in, I don't know how other schools do it. I just know that if I was going to have a advisory group, yep. they would need to be a cross-section of every type of student that was at our school. 100%. So, from super involved to the valedictorian to kids that are barely coming to school or that seem to hate school to kids that have high discipline, students with disabilities, every student population, student athletes, every student population in our building is represented on principal advisory group. Love it. But Love. The, the, the condition is we don't have a group of 30. We have a group of 15. Okay. So I am very strategic with numbers by grade level and who I select yep. to participate. Um, and so, so one of the participants, and she's still a, she's still a participant, um, goes to the alternative school for a, a discipline issue. And so when she returns, she is a member of the team because she, her experience in our school and in our school system is valuable in how I do my work. So it, 
it's a group of 15 kids and it's it's a very diverse group and we try to keep it to um five four or five from each grade level so that there's 15 and they have they don't have a leader they have a chair and uh, they have co-chairs okay just in case i'm not available but there is no executive board none of that stuff it's literally a group of kids we talk they have projects that they work on i facilitate generally with money because that's all they need me for um <laughs> and like sending out email communications but sure. they they run pretty much whatever project they want to do. They develop it. So the um, shadowing project is a long-term project for them that we'll be working on over four years. And kids stay on principal's, principal advisory group. So if you're a ninth grader, you can stay until 12th because we need some consistency on that team. Yeah. Um, but if a, 12, if a kid transfers out, I will pick another kid to transfer into that position of the same grade, grade level. Got it. Try to keep the dem demographics similar. Got it. Got it. That's awesome. So we're transitioning now to the 1920 school year, um, getting ready to get geared up for that. Talk about what kind of areas you guys are going to focus on next year and what are your strategies to attack those things? Um, well, we're focusing on ensuring all students have a rich learning experience. And by all students, um, we're focusing heavily and, and across the nation, there is a focus on students with disabilities, academic performance across the board yep. but what we're focusing on is specifically how do we how do we have a school culture and an environment that is respectful of all children and that it's not because you have an iep that you get additional services but as every kid gets what they need to be successful whether it's you have you need extra minutes in a class or is there additional support that we need and of course we're focusing on attendance again um trying to get that experience right for students my big um driving force is making sure students have everything that they need to be successful post-secondary yep so how do we um prepare future ready students through the use of technology um you know i'm working on my dissertation um and it focuses on school leadership practices in digital equity so how are we ensuring that every kid has the future ready skills that they need when they enter the the real world as they like to call it after high school yep um, so we're, we're focusing in on attendance, academic performance for um, all students, making sure they get the supports that they need, and really creating a school experience that has kids' future ready. That's what it's all about. Last thing I want to talk to you about is balance. And this is something that I love talking to people about this. I know I've struggled with it. I still do struggle with it at times because you pour so much of your time and energy into the school to make it the place that it is. And it's so easy to get caught up in that, that you lose sight of who you are on a personal level. Right. And your husband being in education, too. And like he's doing awesome things over there. Share how you balance the time and energy that it takes to be a principal with being an individual as well. Um. Well, I'm not doing a good job of it right now. <laughs> I think there are times where I'm better at it. Um, ideally, I, I, and I hate to say it because it's never a good thing to say, but you have to sacrifice something so that you can save your sanity. Yep. So I'm, I was sharing, I'm in the doctoral program. Now I have a husband and I have a five-year-old, soon to be six-year-old. Um, so how do you balance mothering Sure. Wifing and leading and still take care of yourself in all of that. So, you know, I try to manage um, my diet um, 
some semblance of a diet, like making sure I eat healthy, making sure that I take time to decompress, whether it's running or working out or just chilling with my kid playing don his new favorite video game is Donkey Kong. Yeah. And I'm pretty good at that game. So, <laughs> you know, like so if it's if, if it's taking time um to play games with him. But you know, my family is a big part of this school family too. So when I come here, if I come for a basketball game, I rarely see my son when I'm here because he is with kids all over the place. Yeah. Um, and my husband is a part of this school family as well. Even though he's at another high school in the division, he is a part of this school family. So when we come here for extracurricular activities, it's not so much that I'm working is that I'm just coming to see my, my family comes with me. It's not an inconvenience for them, but the balance piece is, is challenging. So I try to maximize the number of hours in the day and, and take care of myself in all of that. Um, I listen to a lot of podcasts okay. when I run so I can learn some strategies on yeah. how to, to do, you know, tribe of mentors, like all of those podcasts out there. One of my favorite podcasts that I've listened to, I cannot remember who did it, but it was the one on um, that Kobe Bryant did, and it talked about Mamba mentality. Yep. And so, like, I listen and learn while I'm running yeah. so that I don't – I'm not going to say I waste time, but I'm not listening to music because I need to take this time to develop myself. Sure. So I listen to different podcasts while, while I'm doing that so that I can kind of create opportunities and and they range. I listen to Oprah's Masterclass. I can find a lot of stuff with Brene Brown. Yep. Anything Kobe Kobe Bryant is talking about, um, educational leadership stuff. Like I'm all over the place. Um, I listen to um, Digital Leadership um, by Eric Schinniker. Uh-huh. How you pronounce that? Yep. Yep. Yeah. I I listen to that book on. I listen to for white folks who teach in the hood. Um, what when I ran. I mean I I. I use that as my professional development time. So that's kind of how I balance all of the stuff that I'm doing is you have to be strategic. I, I know that on some of the podcasts, they're like, well, I get up at four o'clock right. and I take an hour to meditate. <laughs> and then after my meditation, I have my morning coffee. And like, that's not me. I set my alarm for four and my husband gets mad because I don't get up. Exactly. So, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> like I just try to maximize the time that I have. I love it. I love it. Well, she make it, you are, incredible. I posted something on Twitter here a couple of weeks ago, and I think it was one of your teachers that responded and said, that sounds like something that Miss Gerald would say. And I said, I would take that yes. company any day of the week because I would. Like, yes. I, I think that you are just awesome. You're an amazing leader, an amazing educator, an amazing person. And I just can't thank you enough for everything that you do for your kids, for your school, for your community, and for the world of education, because the world of education is a better place because you're in it. Well, thank you. Thank you. And I just want to take the opportunity to thank you because honestly, and one as one of the first people in my PLN that I got to meet like in real life, when people talk about I met my tweets, like I met my tweets and <laughs> my circle has, has, has expanded. But as one of the main people in the beginning that was an influencer on my leadership and looking, being able to look at like, I can do anything like crazy stuff works for kids. And yeah. I just have to be willing to take that risk for them. I just want to say thank you too, because you don't, you have no idea what influence you've had on my leadership by watching and just listening to the things that you're able to do in the way that you connect with kids. So I want to thank you too. 
Well, I sure do appreciate that. It means a lot to me. And it's just, like I said, it's an honor to have you in my PLN as well. I love watching your story. I love learning alongside with you. Hope you have a great rest of your summer. You too. Thank you. Guys, you've been listening to the Green Room Podcast Series. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you enjoy the podcast, if you do me a huge favor, if you would rate it, subscribe to it, and then share it with a fellow educator that you think might enjoy it as well. Chase your dreams, kids. (laughs) 